you're going to be fair. You're going to be loyal. You're going to be straight. You're going to be respectful. So you mix up all this together. I mean, you cannot be hard and disrespectful. You cannot be hard and unfair or not clear about what you are asking to a player or promise something which you are not going to deliver. I'm Dan Krikorian, and I'm Patrick Carney, and welcome to Slapping Glass, exploring basketball's best ideas, strategies, and coaches from around the world. Today, we're excited to welcome the head coach of the Spanish national team and Virtus Bologna, Sergio Scariolo. Coach Scariolo is here today to discuss the decisions, teaching points, and practicing alternate defenses and we talk in-game calmness as a coach and guarding flare screens during the always fun start, sub, or sit. Coaches, one of the best ways to help support what we do is by becoming a member of SG+. We now have coaches and staffs from over 40 different countries who are happy to call members, and they get access to SGTV's over 500 detailed breakdown video library by both ourselves and coaches like Stan Van Gundy, Ryan Pannone, Martin Schiller, Josh Schertz, and many more, as well as the weekly deep dive newsletter, access to a private coaching community, and much more. For more information, email us at info at slappingglass.com or visit slappingglass.com to sign up today. Thanks for the support. And now, please enjoy our conversation with Coach Sergio Scariolo. Coach, thank you very much for making some time for us during the season. We're really excited to talk to you today. You're welcome. No problem. Excited to be with you guys. Thank you, Coach. We appreciate that. We'd like to dive in right away with alternate defenses, boxing ones, triangle and twos, non-man-to-man defenses. And we know that in your past, at different points, you've used those kinds of defenses as part of your defensive playbook and we'd love to ask how you arrived at using those kinds of defenses in big games or just in games throughout the season well first of all i am a strong man-to-man defense believer and i do believe that a very high percentage of the success chances of a team lie on be a good man-to-man defense team said that i always refuse the idea not to consider options which our so rich game give us to do something which might help you to win a game, to put a player in a more comfortable situation, to keep a player on the floor, even if it's hard to find a matchup for him, to try to fill a couple of possessions in a row from the other team, which might either help you in a struggle moment or even make the game sign change which actually happened. So my experience has been actually this. The thing it is, when is the right time and how long you're going to use them. Because it's out of question that these, as you call them correctly, no man-to-man differences can create a problem to the opponent offense. The thing it is that you have to pick up the right time according to your lineup, to the opponent lineup, how long to keep them on the floor or to take them off and which are the signs you got to catch from the game to decide that 
it is the case to keep them, to keep them in place or to take them off. Coach, you mentioned in knowing the right time and how long the opponent lineups. I'm curious in your preparation or scouting of an opponent, what are maybe some things you're looking at or something that you notice that give you confidence or think this could be a good option for us in the game if it presents itself? Well, I'm more and more paying attention to matchups. And I want to try to feel safe about my own matchups. Now we are talking about different, but we can, you know, say the same, vice versa, in terms of putting the right player who can create a problem to the opponent because they don't have a guy to guard them, right? But now let's stay different, not to make any confusion. So I want to try to have a clear in my conscious of mind, which my rotation plans in order to cover more of our defensive need in terms of uh, match, in terms of to have basically each player theoretically able to decently or successfully guard their opponent during, I would say, hopefully the whole 40 minutes. Then when the opponent have especially good uh, out-of-bounds system, I might decide to use a no man-to-man defense on those situations. And we should pick up our basic, let's say, no man-to-man defense on a BOB or an SOB, or if we feel that uh, we still need to closely guard an opponent or two, we might decide to go more towards, let's say, combinate defense like box of one or triangle and two, maybe. So this is the general principle. And then you have them there. I mean, I don't practice them a lot. I practice them very seldom. I like to touch them every week, one of them, and to give them, you know, five, six minutes, and then maybe touch another one during the next week. So keep them alive. We use this definition. Keep them alive. Keep players quite up to date about them. And then when the team is mature, when we get to a certain point of the season where we, all those five minutes put together, get to a volume of practice usage, which is enough to make myself feel comfortable to use them also randomly during the game after a timeout or if a situation presents itself like an opponent doing something, you know, out of the chart or if any of our pick and roll defenses are working. So I want to have a feeling of the game in terms of, okay, this is the right time to try and this is the right time to try this instead of that, instead of that, instead of that. But once again, I would say that my 90% or even more of the defensive time, it's about our coverages plus out of this 90% of the time, I would say maybe 30% of the time about against the opponent main sets. So more or less 60, 30, 50, 40, about that 90%. And then 10% about this no man-to-man differences, which we like to touch every now and then. Coach, when we were preparing to talk to you today, Pat and I did a lot of, you know, watching older film of your team's play in the past. And what stuck out to us was some of these defenses we're talking about is, like you mentioned earlier, when you decided to go to them in the course of a game. And a lot of times they were down the stretch, late in games, fourth quarters, overtimes. And you just mentioned you only practice, say, five to six minutes every week. But to make the decision to go in such big moments to something that, like you said, is not your main defense, where does the confidence of that come and the decisions, I guess, to 
go to it down the stretch? Confidence comes from having used them successfully in the past. So I wouldn't probably ever trust something which I might not really master or know or which I haven't used in the past or which didn't prove that uh, could be successfully used even for a little amount of time if I didn't have this kind of experience about those situations. And honestly, as I told you, sometimes I don't have the feeling that my team is ready to try to do alternative differences and try to dig in a little bit deeper into some, you know, on the tactical field. But once you get there, you have a kind of a different feeling like, okay, we have a plan B, we have a plan C. If our plan A doesn't work, we might try to take something out of the box and this other plan might work. I remember in Toronto, we were using, I wouldn't say a lot because it's not the right word, but comparing with other NBA teams, we definitely use a lot of the boxer one. For example, I remember Nick produced sport gear line, like t-shirt, sweatshirt, boxer one tour. And it was put in like a concert, you know, like a rock <laughs> group, like 28 October in Dallas, uh, you know, December 15 in New Orleans. And it was quite a huge amount of dates, which we used them. I remember. We try also triangle too. We also try different shapes of that, say, zone defensive player, but was not that successful. But I, for example, I remember when we played Boston one against Doncic in a game in Toronto, the kid literally came to our bench and said, listen, I'm giving it up. I'm tired. I'm not seeing the ball. I'm not touching the ball. Don't go ahead with your box and while enjoy win the game, we won the game by 30. And actually, I remember that, and I show some of those clips to my national team during the Olympics, when we play Slovenia, which on the paper was actually, they did great in those Olympics. And uh, during 30 minutes out of 40, we were using a lot on, on and off box and one, and they were good working on the short roll and the hypo scratch. We were not really ready to react to that. Our bigs were quite slow and quite, it took a lot of time to react to those Hypo sketch and base cut. So, but during three quarters of the game, we were basically using it successfully against a great player like, for example, Luka Doncic. You bring up a really interesting aspect we want to talk with just the mental warfare that you impose on the other team. Like you said, when Doncic gets frustrated with the main guys, either it's if you're boxing one, triangle two, the two guys getting frustrated and maybe trying to force but also then asking the third, fourth, fifth player, the role players to step up and beat you. Is this something that you're also thinking about, especially in these elimination matches, these high pressure moments of like, this is another plus of us going this box in one triangle in two? Of course, you cannot just rely on the one. You got to have a good box or in the two, you got to have a good triangle. And then people will interconnect. So they will play pick a role, for example. And of course, you got to do something different in case the pick and roll is run by, say, the main guy or by one of the other guys. And this doesn't mean that you can't, let's say, relax on the other pick and roll because if you don't do it in the right way, you might make a mistake which will cost you a layup instead of a high contested shot like would be the case of the guy who's got the cloak. So we try to have main principles. Mostly then, I don't like to work too much during practices on these defenses 
against different cases, different situations, different because the offense, which knows weak points and which has practiced over and over against the defense, will always find the weak spot. And this is going to probably take confidence away from my team when I will ask them to do it, you know, right away during the game. So back to your question, you have to be solid on other players, maybe not over aggressive on the other player. Basically, that's a principle, right? You got to keep a man in front of everyone, but with different level of aggressivity and different level of reactions to pick a rolls or pin down action. That's where you got to make the difference on how to guard this guy or that other guy. Coach, you've mentioned a couple of times about the feel of the game of when to go to it, maybe the feel of when to get out of it. But are there any stats or analytics or things that you and your staff look at when you say are deciding, okay, now's the time to go to it or now's the time to get out of it or here's when we might use it? Anything particular stat-wise you might look at? We use a program whose name is Basket Touch and it basically give us a glimpse of every offensive and defensive situations. But honestly, we mostly look at it at the beginning of our halftime break. I will get feelings by my assistant coaches and they will keep an eye on those stats consistently, right? But myself, I give it the look at the beginning of halftime and then make a decision about what to do in the second half in terms of sets use, in terms of coverages, in terms of alternative defenses use, in terms of rotations. So, but this is basically what we use and we are pretty satisfied about it. It's a quite good uh, tool to have an idea about what we are doing. Coach, maybe my last follow-up on this topic here for you is just about the shot quality or the shots that, you know, when you're implementing this triangle two box of one, and we talked about other players having to beat you, just the types of shots that you're comfortable with the opponents taking when you're in this defense. Well, okay, we have a basically a general shot spectrum which is obviously the same inverted. So what kind of shot are we looking for? Priorities. And what kind of shot are we basically trying to avoid? Which are the best shot we want to take when it's our time to go office, right? So that's probably the best way to evaluate if uh, what we are doing is working. So how many shots we are forcing of a certain type of another tie, how many rim shots, how many contested three, how many uncontested three, how many paint two, how many non-paint two. This is basically what we are consistently checking and tracking. We're excited to partner with one of our favorite new analytics platforms, Hoopsalytics, a high-powered, affordable, and easy-to-use video and analytics system for coaches of all levels at a fraction of the price of some of the other platforms available. Unlike other systems, Hoopsalytics lets you create fully customizable events and sets and analyzes them for you through video link stats, interactive shot charts, and other tools. Zero programming is required. For a free trial and to receive a 25% discount on the product, visit hoopsalytics.com glass. That's hoopsalytics.com glass. And now back to our conversation. Coach, you mentioned a couple of times just how you like to practice it. And you raised a good point because I think, you know, in our experience, whenever you practice these defense, your scout team automatically just starts torching it because like you said, they all know the weaknesses. 
So I would just like to hear how do you in those five to six minute segments then practice it? Are you working just specifically on situations, like you said, so you can build obviously what you need to get done, but confidence for the defense? I would say mostly when we don't exactly know, and this is pretty rare because honestly, it's very hard to catch clips of your next opponent against one of these defenses, right? Very few people use them. When we are not quite sure about what they do, we prefer to work on principle. Pick a roll of the guys, guy or guys, guard the man-to-man, pick a roll one of the other guys, mid, pick a roll, side, pick a roll, post, low post catches, elbow catches. So what we do in this situation where we normally expect the opponent to attack a zone, any kind of zone, or specifically a zone with less players protecting the paint, which actually at the end of the day, it is any kind of uh, alternative difference. Will you put them in this, like we want to work on side pick and roll and then go live, or is it more so you're just kind of talking, walking through with the players? No, we, of course, at the beginning, we put down our concepts. Sometimes we work, and actually, sometimes we add to those five, six minutes live. Sometimes, every two or three games, we had three minutes, game day, morning shoot around, like we call it 50%, where we moved at a good pace, not full contact, and not, not ending up with a rim attack, or we got to end up always with a three-point shot to make sure that shot is contested and that everybody's matching up, making sure that everybody has a man to box out. This is how we end our 50% difference. We call it like this. It's like a way to recall principles, but not in a competitive mode, of course. Coach, thank you for all your thoughts so far on this. We want to move now to a segment that we call start, sub, or sit. And so what we're going to do is we're going to give you three different basketball choices, ask you to start one, sub one, sit one. So this first start, sub, sit for you has to do with you're known for your in-game calmness, being able to make decisions in game and, and stay calm on the sidelines. And so these are three different options of start, sub, or sit, how you remain calm on the sideline. And the start would be your choice for the, the best way. So start, sub, or sit because of your pregame preparation. The second option is just experience as a coach, being able to be in those situations a bunch, you remain calm. The third option is just the trust that you've built with your players and relationships on the floor, you know, trusting them to do what's necessary. Well, it's tough to make a ranking because it depends on the momentum. It depends on where you are with that team. At the beginning, of course, it is experience first, preparation second, and togetherness third, because you have probably didn't have time enough to build up that solid base upon which you can really build such as a level of trust that you can ask them basically everything in any time of the game, they will give it to you. But for example, with the national team, I can exactly invert the three factors. So I would start from this last one because I feel that the mutual trust is so high that I can ask them really to try to kick the ball like we actually do in a specific <laughs> game. We always have a defensive coverage where we use it. It might seem weird. It might seem totally out of the box, but I feel that they will try to do it no matter what. So and that's a good feeling that you reach with the team. Experience and preparation basically are kind of a very much linked because the feeling of being calm and in control 
comes from a mix of them that you have been around a lot, you have been through very, very tough situation, even very looking bad situation, which then eventually turned into good games or wins. And the feeling that you get to the game prepared about most of what you will find in the game or what is going to happen in the game. And basically that you are prepared also to react because you are prepared about your plan B or your plan C. So you have in your mind, okay, if this doesn't work, we will try this. And if this other thing will not work, we'll try this other one. Or, okay, this player can be a shooter, but if all of a sudden becomes very aggressive when it drives, we have a way to, to try to handle it. I mean, having in your mind alternative options, which are not alternative distance now. They can be change a set or use different set or you use a different pick of coverage or use switches instead of not. I mean, there are several ways you might have in your head to take off and your pocket and use them. This gives me a good feeling of being quite in control, even at some point the score is negative, is not looking too good. Coach. Loved all your answers there. I would just love to ask you kind of overall, uh, for you as you've progressed in your career, what is your pregame preparation like personally? Uh, I know you have your staff and your team that you prep them for, but is there anything that you do personally as a coach, say an hour, two hours before a game, that allows you to feel prepared and calm going into that matchup? Well, basically from one hour and a half before the game, we are in a coach's meeting where we project on the screen our matchup plays, our sets plays, our coverage plays, our everything which we got to be ready to have in our... And it's not because I look at it so many times during the game, even if I do every now and then. It's because if you go through it another time, go through it another time, sit in your screen up there, projected and clear, and discuss with the coaches for sure will make you remember what you have been working and discussing about easier program. So I see there and this, I mean, it will be in my pocket too, but mostly my mind is very receptive to what I see and to what people are telling me, right? That what we basically do during, I would say, I don't know, 20 minutes, 20, 25 minutes. And then I like to be distracted from any kind of different stuff. I mean, once I have good with that, I will, before the last team meeting, which is mostly 35 minutes before the game start, three, four minutes where we'll show our last quick offensive films, film with the clips about our office against their defense, a final recap about our office. I like to, you know, go through the internet or answer mails or even check if something is good at home. I mean, I like to feel myself able to jump from one spot to another one. It's kind of a practice even to get immediately 100% concentration about a topic, jumping from a completely different one and being really good in shifting from, you know, say to a player something and then calling a play and then saying to my assistant coach, give a look to me and then to the other one, catch this clip for me for halftime. I mean, I think that if you practice that, you might be able to do it in a more effective way, like everything. I mean, you have to, you know, train yourself to what you have to do in a game under pressure with very limited time. Coach, 
my follow-up has to do with just relationships and building trust to your players. And you mentioned, obviously, with the Spanish team, the trust you guys built that, you know, it helps with a lot of these moments of stress. But as you start a season and the season you're going through right now with Virtus Bologna, how do you build relationships with your players so that you can coach them hard and build that trust later in the season? Well, I think you're going to be fair. You're going to be loyal. You're going to be straight. You're going to be respectful. So you mix up all this together. I mean, you cannot be hard and disrespectful. You cannot be hard and unfair or not clear about what you are asking to a player or promise something which you're not going to deliver or not be consistent in your request and change idea every, depending on if the shot goes in or not. That's a good shot. No, that's a bad shot. What's the same shot? Yeah, but you know, like sometimes coaches do. So I try to be solid, consistent. I try to be demanding. I try to be off the floor available and prove also, not, not just like, how are you? Just showing them that if they really need me, they will really find me. And if I feel that they need me, even if they don't tell me, I will be there and asking them if I can do something or proposing them to do something to help them. So, and then this is your internal, I would say, how can you call it? Detector, right? Your mind tell you, hey, you are being too hard. You need to slow down a little bit and make him feel that you are holding his back. Or vice versa, you have been too soft, too understanding and then excusing. And now it's time to go back to the demanding part of your relationship with him. I mean, at the end of the day, players are not looking for a friend. Players are looking for someone who might help them become better players and win. This is what they are looking for. I'm not there to be their buddy. I know, of course, I know that I can have an experience or links or knowledge or connections which might help them outside the floor or when they might need them. For sure, they got to feel that when they talk, I will listen. And when they show, they don't agree with something, I will consider what they are telling me. Not just saying, okay, now I'm talking. I mean, you, oh, but this is my time and, and this is the important part. No, the important part is what you are telling me because you are giving me tools to go back at you in the right way because I know what is moving you, what is motivating you, what is pushing you and what is not. Many things, listen is a very important part of building up a relationship making the players feel comfortable with the fact that whatever will be said, we stay within those two guys, he and me. It's not going to get out. It's not going to be ill-used, I would say. It's not going to be basically going out from our room. So there are a few situations where I want to feel that the player feels safe, feels that somebody is looking at his eyes in a fair way and in a loyal way, even if he's telling us something bad to hear. Because sometimes I got to tell you, you are out of the 12 players. Like it happened with the national team or with the play. Now we have 15 players, 16 players active. Every game, you got to keep four guys out of the bench. So it's not going to be easy and nice, but you have to do it and try to do it in the best possible way, which is a respectful way. Hey, coaches. It's no secret our affinity for Spanish basketball. With their international prowess, as well as having one of the best domestic leagues in the world, their sustained success 
lies in their ability to develop quality coaches with a deep understanding of the game. Now you can gain access into their coaching methods and philosophy with the International Basketball and Mentoring course from Sport Coach, a six-month course dedicated to teaching Spanish tactics, player development, scouting, methodology, plus a monthly webinar hosted by us at Slapping Glass, all for under $100 a month. Moreover, upgrade your experience with small group mentoring from professional coaches with over 10 plus years in the ACB and European leagues. Act now as time is limited. The course begins December 5th. So visit sportcoach.es en or sign up for our weekly newsletter at slappingglass.com for more information and to sign up today. All right, coach, our last start sub sit for you. We're going to go back on the floor and this has to do with the flare screen and specifically defending the flare screen. So I'm going to give you three situations that are hard to defend. So flare screening when the ball's been thrown into the post, the weak side flare, flare screening when you're running a pick and roll, whether it's to attack the tag on the backside or remove nail help or flare screening out of kind of the five out delay action where they'll throw it to the big man and the corners come up to flare screen the 45. Okay, let's go back with the first one, which was the post, right? Yeah, throw it in the post, and then there's some sort of flare screen. Well, we try to have uh, basically a scheme, which is a common scheme every time a post catch happens, which is jump to the ball, take, try to put one hand on the dribble. We will play that guy directional according to his tendency and skill, but we'll still have an in and out from both sides. When we are not trapped, you know, when we are trapped, it's a completely different issue. So if the flare screen happens, first of all, if you are digging, because most of the time are hugging the passer or they are turning, I hate this. When a passer <laughs> hits the post, your who's guarding the passer is turning like he's the face guard. And then he's, wearing, he's getting caught in the flare screen because he's hugging his man. No, you jump to the ball every single time the pass is thrown. Then this, you learn it when you were 12, probably. So jump to the ball. So if you jump to the ball and create a separation with your own man, then a flare screen is going to be probably more difficult to have. Second thing, if you still get caught, I prefer to go with emergency switches than to foresee complicated schemes where you help recover. or you. I like to have a basically quite collapsing weak side so in that case, I want to see people ready to react because mistakes will happen. Delays will happen. So for sure, something wrong will happen during your possession. And I always say to my players, this is not about avoiding mistakes. Of course, it is. Reduce the number of mistakes. It is about fixing mistakes. And I want a very active and prepared group of players where people are ready to fix mistakes, right? During pick and roll in the double side, I like to keep kind of a, I would say, zone set where whatever happened between those two guys, we don't react. Who's up stays up, who's down stays down. Previously, we tried to keep down the bigger man, so the best body, to be ready to help on the role of the big man, right? But all the flair, we think about the zone defense. Think about two, three zone defense. Top two guys, top low guys, corner man is basically in the gap, but not fully intervening. Wixam man is the key. Top guy is the first on the ball when the ball will shift side. And we try, of course, there are many different nuances and uh, get a work with it, but that's the main idea. And what was the third one? 
the out of the delay action or the five out, we throw it to the big. That's a tough one. I like to guard, let's say, both sides, back screen with the body check, pushing him into the ball. And in this way, keeping vision of the back coming and not offering your back to be caught and to let the guy go behind. I always want my guy to go in front of me. I may be kind of a little late if he cut straight and said that the point guard, he's sitting the delay trailer, is getting a back pick and he's cutting through, right? I prefer to be a little late on the point guard cut and trailing, but staying completely, let's say, keep my back to the sideline and pushing it into the paint and then trailing and then being able to have a good weak side ready to support me for a while. Then to get caught in the back pick or to give to the screener responsibility to help recover because those are when most of the push-off and dive happen. In those great moments where you don't know if the switch or not, blah, blah, blah. Even with switching, the flare, for example, is toward the outside and the screener guy want to help on that. If his man is smart and quick, he will be at the ring. And then it's much more difficult cut to guard. So I prefer to check people and to push them Let's say in front of me, in the back pick. Don't let anyone go behind me on the back pick. Try to always keep them, keep them in my vision and then trail it and be quick chasing them, of course. But I prefer to get caught in the, that kind of a small point guard cut, then of a, a wing, a three or a four, which is pushing off and slipping out, diving to the rim and catching it on a switch situation at the rim already, not at the post where we can trap, at the rim already where we have maybe just a split second to, to try to react or with uh, even worse, two people on the ball, two miscommunication, two people on the player guy and one guy diving easy to the bucket. Coach, with that situation, I guess for my clarity, if the point guard can, like you said, force him to the middle, is the wing going to bump the cutter at all or he's going to stay hugged up on his man and he'll help the weak side? No, no, no. Okay. Yep. I like to people to cooperate that cooperation is the back pick call. That's the main thing, the real thing you can do to help your teammate. That's a great cooperation tool you can put in his head. So he can jump to the outside, react, and guard him by himself. But if I start to bomb, then the guy, the good offensive player without the ball offensive player, is able to catch a little split second to dive to the rim or to, you know, cut behind. So I prefer to give an injury, like in a BOB, Situation, all the screen, the screener move, all the screen, the screener back bigger. Every time, send to the ball, send to the ball. We will help you, support you from the other guy. But the two screen involved, screen involved guy, gotta be solid, each one against his own man. Coach, you're off the start, sober, sit, hot seat. Thanks for playing that game with us. Loved hearing your thoughts. Coach, we've got one last question before we close the show. Before we do, thank you very much for your time and thoughts today. This was great. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. Good luck on your podcast. Our last question that we ask all the guests is, what's the best investment that you've made in your career as a coach? Go see coaches at work. Spend time for flights, hotels, whatever. Spend time, spend days watching coaches at work. Practices, the NBA before, then in top European colleagues, whatever I can do to improve, to get better. It's great. Now you have a lot of footage on the internet, 
but more than clinics, which probably I don't have really enough time to follow up with. When I had a chance, I like to go see, you know, practices and coaches meetings. And that was extremely, extremely helpful to get better. Inspirational because that was where you start thinking about, wow, that, that's interesting. That could be reproduced. That this is kind of a quite far from my view, but I should reconsider my view at this point or incorporate a little bit or maybe make a little bit of an adjustment. Listen, my kid plays basketball and I get drills and food for my thought watching his practices at that when he was 14, when he was 16. So you can learn from everyone, but I like to see light. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Please make sure to visit slappingglass.com for more information on the free newsletter, Slapping Glass Plus, and much more. Have a great week coaching, and we'll see you next time on Slapping Glass. Oh, do we have a name yet for this thing? I have like slapping backboard. <laughs> slapping glass. <laughs> slapping glass. That's kind of funny. I like that. That's good. Let's roll. <laughs> slapping glass.